You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Bet this football season with my bookie. Use promo code Gators and get a free $20 wager with your first deposit. Your winning season begins today. Only at my bookie. Gators Breakdown. Because there's never a dull moment in Gator Nation. The Gators Breakdown podcast is ready to go. I'm your host, David Waters, and you can find me on Twitter at GatorDave underscore SEC. And it's uh, it's finally game week uh, again, and we're doing uh, we're doing it a special way this time, this time. So, of course, every Monday night, of course, Will Miles joins me and he will be joining me again. You can find him at his site, readandreaction.com and on Twitter at uh, Will Miles SEC. Will, man, we got uh, some special guests with us tonight. We, we, we've had this Twitter DM going for, or I'll have to go back and look at the first message. I don't know how long it's been going on, but uh, Neil and Malika here, well, joining us here for, for this episode of Gators Breakdown. So, so good that we uh, get to split it up four ways this time. Yeah, it makes it easy for us tonight. We can just let these guys talk and and uh, <laughs> converse with the fans and let everybody come after them when they say something that they, you know, just a little bit different than what the conventional wisdom is. So it'll be fun. Absolutely, absolutely. So as you can see uh, on the YouTube version, four-way split here. Neil Blackman from Saturday Down South is joining us here, as he has before uh, on Gators Breakdown. Neil, man, I, I, didn't, I didn't like those two weeks off. Oh, man, not fun. Not fun. From a, from a content perspective, bad. From a, <laughs> from a fan perspective, bad. From a COVID dad perspective, bad. Not good. <laughs> I'm so happy it's game week. Bad. There we go. <laughs> Florida defense, bad. So. <laughs> uh, there we go. And for the first time here, Malik Grady, Grady's joining us right here on Gators Breakdown. Uh, and uh, I had to ask Malik, how do you want me to introduce you, Malik? So this is what he's saying here, guys. Longtime Gainesville resident and UF journalism school grad uh, who says he's now mostly just clutters up the timeline and DMs with pop culture and sports talk and uh, some really, really good sports talk. If you don't follow Malik on Twitter, do so at Malik G. Uh, some really good insight uh, for uh, Florida football and a lot of Florida basketball talk, too. So I know him and Neil talk a lot of Florida basketball and, and a lot of sports in general. But Malik, man, uh, like I said, the, the DM, it, it's it's good having you in that direct message that we have on Twitter, man. And then thanks for hopping on here. Absolutely. Um, it's been a lot of fun just talking to you guys behind the scenes and like, like that. It's going to be a little weird listening to you guys at normal speed i'm used to listening to you on podcasts at least one and a half speed so <laughs> if i'm a little off on my speed that'll be the reason <laughs> you can't talk any faster than me right. so <laughs> we're good anyway <laughs> all right uh, here we go uh for uh announcement for our next show uh we've been trying i've been trying to work this in but Corey bender from rivals will join me i'll do a special recruiting episode tomorrow Gators get a big-time commitment from Jeremiah Scooby-Williams, outside linebacker, defensive end type, uh, today on Monday. We've been planning this episode, uh, but he just had uh, – he welcomed his baby boy last week. So we kind of uh-huh. had to push some things around. So Corey's going to join me this week here uh, on Gators Breakdown, uh, guys. But, hey, we'll get into it. Just a quick reaction before we get into the meat of the episode uh, here. Gators with a big-time, big-time pickup, outside linebacker, defensive end type here uh, for, for Jeremiah Scooby-Williams. And uh, here we go, Will. I mean, Gators get a – a nice nice recruit here yeah i mean hey you you know how big a deal i think recruiting is whenever (laughs) you can bring in a top 100 guy it's a big deal florida jumps up to eighth in the rankings now on 24 7 gets over that sort of 90 percent hump on 24 7 and you know this is a guy ranked 97th overall defensive end but he's a small defensive end so we've been talking about sort of the guys um you know obviously needing some help on the defensive line but then uh you know, this is one of those guys who's going to be quick and hopefully can get to the quarterback. And that's what Florida's kind of been missing this year. So it's good to have a guy with that sort of pedigree come into the program. Malik, Neil, I'll get I'll get your guys' thoughts on it right quick. And kind of to Will's point, 
the I guess the only and I don't want to you know this is a great pickup. Don't get me wrong. There's really no other way to look at it. But if you do want to take another look at it, and, and I saw it float around on Twitter a little bit and, and message boards, it's like. Oh, here we go! Another outside linebacker defensive end type, and you know, Florida just loaded up on that top on that type of player the, the last couple of years. Yeah, and and it feels like uh, we trust this defensive staff right now to develop players and get them in the right positions to play. I mean, I definitely want the top one hundred players. We're de- definitely glad to have those guys, but there is that feeling in the back of your neck: Are they going to be used right? Can you use enough guys that are at the same position? Are they creative enough to do that? I'm hopeful, but a little wary, obviously. Yeah, I, I mean, look, I, I think the the what's the glass half full is top 100 player, and man, C. Rob can recruit. Mm. You know, um, the glass half empty is like they have seven bucks. <laughs> <laughs> is one of these guys going to gain weight, or I mean, what, you know, I, I don't know. Yeah. So, uh, so that's just kind of is what it is. Yeah, and hopefully he is, you know, an outside linebacker true type. Because, I mean, right now, if you look at it, that's probably what Florida needs to help at, at the most. The guy who's playing that Amari Bernie position right now, can can Williams be that guy and that mm-hmm. guy that they can count on in, in that spot? That's where I'm looking at. Not necessarily middle linebacker type, but that outside linebacker, what we see kind of Amari Bernie, James Houston in that role and, and what those guys uh, are playing now. And one more, guys, uh, but before we get into the meat of the episode, uh, here is – Check out those babies right there. <laughs> big time, big time uh, news of Florida drops, uh, of course, today. And we kind of knew it was a homecoming uh, coming up for, for the Gators against Missouri. And we knew they were going to wear those throwback jerseys, but the, the blue helmet. And I think that's it. Twitter on fire uh, Monday morning. Will, what was your initial reaction to the, uh, the blue helmet there? You know what my reaction is because I immediately <laughs> messaged you and said I'm pretty cheap, but I think I might have to spring for that helmet if they put it on sale. So, uh, yeah, I, I like that one, man. It's it's pretty. The only thing the only thing I'd like to see is they're going with the white pants. I was I thought maybe they might go with the blue pants to to sort of you know maybe modernize it. But those throwbacks are pretty, man. No doubt about it. It's always fun when they wear them. Yeah, it, it seems they're just going to keep this jersey. Uh, this jersey look, which I mean, right now they're they're going back and looking at the at the '60s teams a lot, and it's kind of what they based last year's on too. But with the white helmet, and they kind of right now for this one, they just kind of reversed the colors. But uh, Neil, I saw uh, you know you you got the throwback hat on. I had to throw the hat on with it with this logo too. Florida's got a lot of options when they want to go uh, a route and using a different look. But this one, they, I think they nailed this one. Yeah, it's so nice. Uh, you know, I I love these uh, '60s uniforms when they. Broke them out in 06. I know people people were waiting for so long to see them again. And, uh, you know, they're great. And and for for those of us that, you know, Gators Breakdown listeners, one of the best things about the people that listen to your show is how educated they are on, on the history of the program and, and how much they appreciate that. And, and it's cool to honor the teams in the 60s. I mean, they that's uh that's kind of the standard setters for, for the program. It's when Florida started winning games, and, and it's I like to see it. Malik, what was your thought on them? Well, I think they're very clean. I, I definitely have liked pretty much all the throwbacks that they've done. My thing is that I really want the throw forward. I, I want them to, <laughs> at some point, to incorporate what I think is the you know, most ferocious, dangerous mascot or animal in college football. I want them to incorporate that into the helmet. I mean, you have these amazing teeth. You have the gator eye. You have this hide. And somehow you never have a helmet that incorporates that. I just... It just seems odd to only have a cursive Gators or an F. I mean, I just I, – I, the imagination is lacking for that. But I, I do love these. I just – at some point, I don't want to echo what Georgia has with just a big G. I want a, a little more. You know, you have a Gator. I mean, incorporate yeah. it, you know? I, so. I've at least thought they should do the helmets in a style of having the Gator skin and that right. kind of be the, the back end. <laughs> it's very subtle where, you know, maybe you catch the right reflection and, and you catch it, you know, not, not the full helmet, but – or the anything, Gator Eye, you know, yeah. something. Anything better than those uh, swap and green ones from a few years ago. <laughs> hey, those have the Gator on the helmet. Malik, they, you got one of those? <laughs> um, no, no. That that didn't have the right green for me. So I'm not sure what that, <laughs> that color that was. Gray. That, <laughs> I mean, that those was, things had the had the nerve to lose ooh. to Kellen Mond, you know. We can't let yeah. wait a minute. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> Too soon. Hmm. 
that's the thing about this weekend. I think if if these uniforms win, they're gonna look a lot better. If some somehow you have a loss, <laughs> yeah. they're pretty ugly. Nothing <laughs> fires me up more than people blaming loss on a uniform. <laughs> but but at least it won't be the white helmets they're blaming this time, right? Dave. Oh yeah, they give didn't, a, they didn't a pat right here. If you're watching the YouTube version, rub, rubbing the uh, white helmet now. <laughs> they didn't they didn't tackle hard enough. <laughs> <laughs> All because of the helmet. <laughs> All because of the helmet. All right, let's get in here. Let's get into this episode of Gators Breakdown. But before we do, remember, you can find Gators Breakdown on news4jacks.com slash Gators Breakdown. There you'll find all the Gators Breakdown episodes and news for Jacks coverage of the Gators. Please share, rate, and review the show. If you're checking us out live on YouTube right now, hit that like button, hit that subscribe button. It really helps us out here on Gators Breakdown. Or if you just want the audio version, check us out on your favorite podcast platform and follow Gators Breakdown on social media. We're on Twitter and Facebook at Gators uh, Breakdown. So, guys, uh, of course, I think uh, we've discussed a lot uh, behind the scenes, and, and we're not the only ones, of course, uh, you know, looking at Florida this way, but taking a glance at, at, at the team right now, and what is the outlook uh, for this Gator team a, a, as we move forward? And I really, I really don't know. I mean, to me, they're, they're, they're two things about these last two weeks here, and, and when we look at this Gator team, and, you know, first off, I mean, it was a, a complete shutdown uh, as far as practice goes and football operations go. No practice, no team workouts, you know, uh, and all that kind of takes me to my second point. And, you know, as it, can Florida, you know, I don't know if they can necessarily take advantage of a bye week. The traditional bye weeks gave you at least three practices, and that is now three practices where, you know, you get to work on the little things that you want to change about your team. That's what usually that's what we usually see uh, in, in bye weeks, and if there are elements of the team that can change during a season, it's usually done during that time. So now Florida was able to, to watch more film than they've ever been able to watch during a season and, and try and identify uh, some of the issues that need to be corrected. But instead of having those three practices to implement the changes – and, 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 you know, work on yourself, you know, now you, you got to do that in some subtle form and try and prep for Missouri uh, at the same time. And you know, look, we hear all the time for bye weeks, you know, it's the time that you get to work on yourself more so than preparing for the next opponent. Well, Florida doesn't get that luxury uh, in a year where they probably need that, at least for the defensive side of the ball. So now you have to implement these changes while also preparing for Missouri. And, and that's going to be difficult. So you know, doubt, no doubt in my mind that that changes are coming uh, in the form of a, of a simplified approach on defense and some personnel changes. Uh, but I'm not so sure we should expect results right away, <laughs> given everything the team has dealt with, dealt with the, the last couple of weeks. So uh, I do caution the fans. And if we do see something different on Saturday, the results and the results aren't much better. We may have to be a little patient, Will, because you know, there is a, a lot of time for a, a lot of change and applying that change. Yeah, well, I mean, I think a lot of it depends on who's actually playing, right? I mean, yeah. If, <laughs> we don't know, and Mullen was kind of cagey today about who's going to be available, but presumably there's going to be some players who just aren't available, which means some of the changes that they might have wanted to make otherwise they're not going to be able to make. Um, the one thing I would say that, that Florida has going for it positively coming into this one is Missouri scored 19 points against Alabama. Okay, that's forgivable, but they lost 35-12 to to Jarek Guarantano. Um, then they beat LSU, but LSU's been struggling and scored 20 points against Kentucky. So this isn't exactly the uh, you know the the 2007 Patriots. They should be able to slow them down, get them off the field. Though we said that about Texas A&M, and we said that about South <laughs> Carolina. But you know th- this is not they're not coming back and facing an offensive juggernaut. If they were coming back and facing Old Miss, I'd be really worried. You're missing a couple of starters. You don't have um, you know you don't have time to practice. You guys haven't been really even been able to work out. Um, you know, and, and I can see a situation where that might be more problematic than playing a team that's a little bit less explosive. There's probably going to be some opportunities to make some mistakes against Missouri that don't turn into six. Um, but obviously Florida's been making mistakes all season long that have turned into six. And hopefully that's one of the things they've been able to rectify by making a few changes and getting in the film room. Yeah, I think Malik, uh, the thing I'm looking at, man, uh, honestly, in looking at this, it's all really just predicting and kind of guessing. We don't know what is we don't know what this team went through the last couple of weeks. We know they met a lot, and that's really all they could do. But I mean, honestly, what we're discussing here it's it's a, it's a lot of guesswork. Do we see that team take the field Saturday? Oh yeah, the, well, there's a lot of uncertainty uh, in terms of this game and the rest of the season. But I see a lot of 
there's a real opportunity because after that Texas A&M game, there was so much negativity, a lot of it earned from what the defense did and even some squandered opportunities on offense that now to have a, a missed game and then have the COVID outbreak and then all those, those things going on, suddenly you're not only Jones for football. So if you have some things go right suddenly on Saturday, if you get a five and out, gasp <laughs> if you force a, a punt if you get an early touchdown then suddenly the that kind of feeling of momentum it's like hey we changed some things uh this person is back this person is doing different things they actually um actually played this person they said they were going to play instead of just giving lip service to it so you have a real opportunity for those things to suddenly reset you know the hopes and expectations and all but you're right i think anything could happen but there's a real opportunity for suddenly flipping that switch and having a lot of goodwill yeah, Neil. I mean, and I hate to be the the you know looking at it from a from a pessimistic point of view, but I mean, I, there, there probably are some good things that they can take away from this, and uh, of course the defense and being able to identify issues that they need to identify and, and, and apply that. And like I said, you know, maybe applying those differences or you know, those changes may be a little difficult with trying to prepare for Missouri at the same time. You don't get your traditional bye week here, but I mean, there, there's got to be some positives when you go back and look at this. Yeah, look, I think there are unexpected losses, and I feel like the Texas A&M loss was was an unexpected loss. Um, you know, just based on the way that that A&M had been playing coming into the game, I don't think anyone in the fan base, and certainly nobody in the locker room, went to Texas mm-hmm. thinking they were going to lose. So uh, that that leads to a lot of soul searching, just generally. And then when you have two to three weeks to marinate on it, um, it, it it can you know. You guys here could go one of two ways. I think it's productive for a veteran team, and Florida is certainly a veteran team. I think that there there should be some positives that that they take from that. And I like Malik's point about confidence. It's something that like we've gotten so wrapped up, and I'm as guilty of this as anybody. If you read the stuff I write, but I mean, you know, we've gotten so hardwired. It was actually in our little chat that that Will made the great point that like you can't always get so wrapped up in advanced analytics because there is a confidence element to 18 to 22 year old kids playing a game they love. And, you know, if they can stop Missouri and Larry Roundtree on third down a couple times, you know, just the idea that, you know, Hey, the sky isn't falling. That's a big thing. And, and maybe that comes playing in your backyard. Yeah. And one point with that, and maybe we make too much of it is maybe these guys realize the last couple of weeks, how much they missed the game of uh, mm-hmm. football. You got, you got a taste of it for three weeks. Now you got a sour taste in, in your mouth from what happened the, the last time you went out there. And look, I mean, you go back and it's, it's kind of been out there now. Mark Wilson apologized for his play uh, to the team. They had a team meeting and he apologized and said it would get fixed. And of course, now he's got to go out there and prove it. You know, you just, it's got to be more than words and you got to go out there and prove yourself. But you know, the, the word was the team rallied around him. They, they consoled him and he, he, he's re- he was ready to go. And then, Boom! COVID hits, and you know you're not allowed to go out there on the practice field and and, and take 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 part in, uh, in practice after all that. So, I mean, uh, the, I think there are some some good things to point to here, and, and maybe some rallying points. As in, hey, maybe you get some players back. You know, Kyrie Campbell right before we went live here tweeted out that it's it's good to be back with the Gator emoji. So it leads you to believe that. He's going to be on the practice field and, and ready to go and play Saturday. Ethan White on his Instagram story was had a, had the camera from his point of view looking at his legs and cleats walking to the practice field. So maybe he's getting back into the rotation. So maybe that's a good point. So maybe getting some of these guys back as well that you hadn't played with all season is another you know in, in, injection that you needed to, to, to you know right, right the ship after the last time we saw you. It didn't look so good, Will. Yeah, I mean, I think you've said it a couple of times over the last week or two is that this is probably going to go one way or the other way, (laughs) and it's going to be up to the players to sort of determine which direction the season takes. Obviously, if you go out there and you're flat or if you go out there and things haven't improved, then it can get real bad in a hurry. But at the same time, you know, like Neil said, if you get a couple of stops, the the offense, at least at the time that that COVID hit, couldn't be stopped either. And so, you know, you can envision the scenario where Florida comes out and wins this game by 45 points. Um, You can also envision a scenario where it's sort of a slugfest and they're going back and forth and maybe it's a high-scoring game. I don't think we're necessarily going to see a defensive struggle. Um, but, you know, there are a lot of different scenarios you can see coming out. And certainly heading into the Georgia game, just sort of getting a little bit of confidence and getting 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 sort of their legs under them on the defensive side of the ball is something that we all hope that we see. You don't think we see a nine-and-a-half-minute drive from Missouri and, not, and then not score after that? <laughs> I mean, you know, <laughs> I, I, they didn't hire Will Muschamp, did they? 
<laughs> it looked like it did look like it on times on Saturday versus Kentucky. That was a that was a Will Will, Will Muschamp would have he would have loved that game. Drinkwitz looks like he probably pays attention to the analytics a little bit more than Muschamp does. Just you know, <laughs> it's stereotyping, but he looks like he might. Oh, I don't know about that. Yeah. Well, it's funny. Like we we talk about the players stepping up, and you talk about Marco Wilson, you know, apologies and what have you. I do wonder what kind of accountability or you know, the equivalent of apologizing there is from the defensive coaches because it's clear that some of the game plans that they've put in over the last couple of years, especially against good quarterbacks, there's something left to be desired. There's guys don't seem lined up repeatedly and not just young guys, guys that have been here for three years like Bernie or Steiner or like the aforementioned Marco Wilson. And you wonder when do they get accountable and say, hey, maybe what I think is going to work isn't working. When do they held be held accountable for making personnel changes when they say oh yeah we're going to get the right players in there but you still see the same guys in the same guys making the same mistakes over and over so i don't know i i definitely think the players are important but i i would love to see a little more accountability if not publicly because it turns out to do it publicly but i hope it's being done privately with the coaches and they're having some soul searching because there's no margin for error anymore. You've lost like in the A&M. You've lost your bye week. Hopefully the fear of God is not only in the players, but in those coaches as well for guys that who are maybe a little bit hidebound to say, maybe I make some changes. Maybe I actually run a dime package once in a while, you know, that kind of thing, or have some press coverage here and there. So, Yeah, and Neil, that, that, that'll get me to my next point that you can co- come in here. Dan Mullen did get to meet with the media today, and first time we've heard – we got to hear from him from SEC teleconference last week. But, you know, now game week, and we get to hear from him again here. And I'll go back to Saturday a little bit too. And, you know, Cassidy Hill tweeted this out, but Urban Meyer on the big noon kick- kickoff on Friday or Saturday uh, for their game uh, did mention um, – that Urban Meyer had to say he breaks down the attributes of a good offensive coordinator and says they must be a defensive expert as well. He said, quote, Dan Mullen, Ryan Day, the best I've been around, they could be defensive coordinators. So that leads me to the point where Dan Mullen today said he has been involved in the defense but won't tell the defensive staff what to do, just challenge them. So, you know, of course, that caught fire on Twitter because everybody wants Dan Mullen to come out and say in a press conference that he's going to fire Todd Grantham. That, 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 that's what they want right now. So that's what, that's all that's going to make the, uh, you know, half of the fan base happy or maybe even more than half of the fan base happy. Give but, us Barabbas. <laughs> yeah, uh, immediate results <laughs> is what they want right now. But, you know, it goes to the next point and what Malik was saying, you know, it, it, there is a, a point right now where these defensive coaches and, and, you know, the head coach himself have to step up and say, Hey, this is not acceptable. And you got to we got we to have a heart to heart. And I talked about this last week on the YouTube Q&A as well. You know, there has to be a heart and heart, a heart to heart between Dan Mullen and Todd Grantham right now, because what we have seen the first three games are, is not acceptable. Yeah, I mean, it's it's bad. They're they're um, they're last in college football in third down defense. They're actually not last now. Nebraska is. But <laughs> but <laughs> shout out to Scott Frost and that staff. Um but no, that, that, that's not fair to Nebraska. They just played Ohio State and they played one game. So um, they're last. The only thing that Missouri does well is on offense is convert third downs. Uh, they were 15 of 30 in their wins over LSU and Kentucky, which came in with a really good third down defense. So there's my one little uh, analytical <laughs> nugget that may mean nothing. Um, but but it is a chance for Florida to, to – to you know, get it right against a team that tends to stay on schedule, uh, or that when they're on schedule tends to do well, but doesn't I guess tend to stay on schedule if you look at the rest of their numbers. Um, you know, I want to see this sort of accountability. I think the, the the one overarching critique you heard from outsiders about Mullen when he got the job wasn't you could write off some of the the nonsensical ones about the ranked opponent stat and stuff like that because it was Mississippi State, but. There was a criticism that he can be a little bit intransigent, that he's not necessarily somebody who's very malleable or adaptable. And I thought he really bucked that narrative last year when Felipe Franks got hurt and they went to this pass-happy offense to the point where in the Missouri game, in fact, he did a halftime interview where they're like, are you concerned about not being able to run the ball? And you guys remember Mullen was like, no, (laughs) we can't run the ball. (laughs) You know, like, and it was so refreshing because it showed you that like Dan will do what it takes to win. Um, and so does that apply with Dan being the CEO 
and the defense and, and when does that kind of accountability acts fall? What kind of adjustments are made? Yeah, Will, and, and kind of going back to, to your article that you released today uh, at Reading Reaction, I mean, it, it, it does beg the question because, you know, uh, and you're not the only one and I'm not the only one and we're not the only ones on here. We, we, we've identified some of the problems that we see on defense and some of them seem pretty simple and some of them are probably way over ahead that we'll never know uh, what, you know, what, what, what to do in, in certain situations down in distance and, and, and all that. And I've said time and time again, talk about them, we'll forget more football than we'll ever know. But, you know, there comes a point where some of the, there does a lot of some easy stuff to, to, to take care of. And we'll, you know, kind of shout out to your article here and, and kind of what you pointed out of, of, of one. And as you said, not to necessarily single out a player, but, you know, you singled out Jeremiah Moon. It's not all on him, but maybe something that, you know, is a is a starting point for we're talking about different players that we may see uh, on the field Saturday. And as you said, we don't know who who all will be available, uh, but th- there are some things to improve upon. Yeah, I mean, I think it, it. So the article wasn't meant to necessarily go after Moon. What it was meant to do was push was point out that Moon is playing a buck position where Cox is probably where Brenton Cox is probably better equipped because that's typically where the pass rush comes from. And he's the one who's been able to get some pass rush even from the defensive end spot. And then, and then Zach Carter has been able to get some pass, pass rush from the defensive end spot. And what they've done is they've brought Zach Carter in on the inside and then had, had Cox lining up a defensive end and Moon at Buck. And they're just not getting the kind of production from the defensive line that they need. And so whether or not that's an issue with, with any of the guys up there, I think it's, it's obvious, though, that, that Cox would really excel if they, took his, if they took his hand out of the dirt and had him sort of play in some of that Buck role. And against Texas A&M, actually, they had Jeremiah Moon dropping in coverage an awful lot um and, and that's not necessarily what Grantham typically does with that guy um and so yeah I think there's 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 changes to be made there and, and really it's a cascading effect so if you're not getting pressure up front then it means your defensive backs have to hold up longer once they have to hold up longer they feel less comfortable taking a risk and they're worried they're going to get beat deep so they play further off the ball and then when the defensive line isn't holding up the linebackers are starting to get mauled by offensive linemen as well so you know it's been a complete system failure on defense for the Gators thus far I made one suggestion in terms of what could change I think it's probably the right thing to do but at the same time um you know, there's probably more than one change that needs to be made. And like I said earlier, we don't necessarily know who's going to be available. The The other thing that I would say is going back to what you were saying about um, about Mullen and Grantham, I'm a little bit confused that people are as up in arms about Mullen not just taking over the defense. Um, you know, he's paid an awful lot of money to be the CEO of the program. He's also very heavily involved in the offense. He doesn't have time to uh-huh. sit there and make sure that he's making defensive calls and things like that. He has time to go in and sort of say, hey, Todd, tell me your sort of here's the filter through which I want you to run your defensive calls. But he's got to keep, you know, other you don't bring in people you don't trust. You don't pay people the kind of money Grantham's getting paid without giving them opportunities to change and opportunities to um, right the ship themselves. So you have a discussion and then you say, hey, you know what? The last two years of defense has been pretty good and so it's not a matter of making a wrong call at the wrong time it's a matter of do we have the right guys in the right spot and that was sort of the point of the article was to say hey it's pretty clear that there are some guys who are being played out of position and I think one of the things you're gonna have to sacrifice is maybe to get to put them in position you may need to be weaker someplace else but the kind of production you're going to get by putting them in the right position will help you out. Malik does that uh Go back to your point of coaching accountability. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, I think one question is um, you wonder how much of the defense was perhaps propped up these last couple of years by C.J. Henderson, David Reese, and then the pass rush because th- those guys are gone and, you know, you don't have those uh, kind of easy things to, to rely on. And and I think where Gator Nation gets frustrated isn't so much you expect him to, like, necessarily step in and, and uh, you know, have blood – but it doesn't feel like there's just three games. In some ways, it feels like it's now, what, two and two two years in three games, and you wish there'd be some sort of change when it comes to when big quarterbacks come on the line and all. So there's just that, that frustration involved where you're just like, when you feel like there's obvious things that could be done, we've all had that thing where you're with somebody who's not versed in football, whether it's, you know, a loved one or a relative and they're watching the game and they're seeing something which seems simple and they say things which are especially hurtful to you. They're like, 
aren't you supposed to be going the other direction? And why aren't they covering that guy? And is he supposed to put the ball on the ground? And you're like, no, no, grandma, that's not what's supposed to happen. And it just seems so obvious in the moment. And it's more complicated than that, obviously. But it feels so frustrating when it seems obvious. You're like, well, I might pull the guy closer. Or can we have another extra defensive back? So when it seems simple, it's even more frustrating to you. When it's over your head, when you're watching like, you know, some – crazy buddy ryan type thing or something like that it feels different but when it seems simple it's it's even more maddening i think yeah yeah neil i want to go i want to go back to one of your latest articles too but before uh we move on but let me get a good wording in from our uh, friends at my bookie and ever since i started gators breakdown uh i've had people asking me uh, who's going to win and and a lot of time what team they should bet on well the best piece of best piece of advice is where you're betting is just as important as who you're betting on. And it's why I always tell people to visit my bookie. They've got deposit matches, free bets, and huge cash prizes for you to take advantage of all season long. NFL action, check. College football, check. Plus, they have a mobile-friendly website and top-of-the-line customer service making their platform a one-stop shop for all your betting needs. And the best part is my bookie has hooked us up with promo code GATORS which gives you a free $20 wager to get some skin in on the game. It's a low-risk, high-reward, which, make which makes this an offer a no-brainer. That's $20 free bet to use on anything in the sports book, and it's completely on the house. You can't beat free, and you certainly cannot beat free money. Sign up at MyBookie today and use our promo code GATORS to claim your deposit bonus. Stack UFC cards, presidential prop bets, and good times await. Sign up today to begin your winning season only at MyBookie. So, Neil, one of your recent articles you put up at Saturday Down South, and you listed the top five Gators uh, through the first three games uh, of the season here. And there's no DBs on the list. No Marco Wilson, no Kyrie Elam, no Sean Davis for Florida. And look, that's not a shot at you. I'm not saying you left anybody off. I mean, <laughs> you go through and look at Florida and if you, you know, before the season, you would have put Kyrie Elam probably as one of the top five Gators on the team, but through three games, you know, there are no defensive backs for this Florida Gator defense on that list. Yeah, it's pretty astonishing. You know, 87th in the country pass efficiency defense. If you don't like pass efficiency, uh, they're 91st in, in success rate defense against, which means that, uh, there's only nine teams in America that are worse at preventing successful pass plays than uh, Florida. That's that's not what you want. Um, if you if you look at Florida's secondary purely on uh, coverage snaps, right, like the number of plays where an opponent is throwing the ball, then the best defensive player in the secondary has been Jaden Hill, who theoretically is a backup corner. Uh, 77 coverage snaps played. He's allowed only two receptions on 10 targets and he's registered a couple of, of passes defended. That's really good. Um, everybody else uh, is either average in the Kyer Elam category or not so good, at least in that aspect. I still think I still understand why Donovan Steiner plays. I, I know that's kind of a, it borders into the, the hot take uh, blasphemy crowd with some of the fan base, but um yeah, I mean, it's just unbelievable. And, and if it were not for LSU, the other DBU, playing as bad as they are in pass defense, I think it would be even more of a national story than it is. But, um, you know, that's kind of where we're at right now. And I, I do think with Connor Basilek, Missouri's quarterback, there's a chance to at least do what they did to South Carolina, right, which is kind of put an umbrella over the top, try to keep things in front of them. Um, but – do you want to do that when you know you have to deal with Larry Roundtree first? So, uh, you know, I don't know. It's it's an interesting game. Like, is this a game where the secondary can really get right? Or is this a game where we just need to make sure that uh, if you're Todd Grantham and the defensive staff, you're ganging up to stop the run, and if this freshman can beat you over the top, you live with it a little bit. Yeah, Will, that's where I'll get with you next. And you and I have hit on that topic plenty. Malik brought it up earlier as well. And look, we have plenty of time to to preview Missouri this week, but one big point that I was going to make in a preview this week is Todd Grantham's success versus inexperienced quarterbacks. That's pretty much, you know, ever since at Florida, pretty much where he's made his living is is taking advantage of 
inexperienced quarterbacks, and he's going to face one uh, this this coming up week uh, with Bazelak in, in, in Missouri. But you know, as as Neil said, you got to stop Larry Roundtree after, especially after what we saw this past week versus you know a much better defense in Kentucky than what we've seen with, with, with Florida right now. So you know, if you want to look at you know just the wide scope of Todd Grantham versus an inexperienced quarterback, well. History shows us it's usually stacks up in his favor. Yeah, I mean, I think I think Grantham's going to throw things at other teams, especially blitzes. Some of the blitzes Mond was able to handle the other day came from a ways away, and you know, the rookie quarterbacks or the the, the inexperienced quarterbacks don't always deal with that very well. You know, though, you know, <laughs> the the Missouri quarterback here, Basilak, he has uh, earned this job, right? I mean, he goes seven to fourteen against Alabama, coming up in mop up duty, then thirteen to twenty one against Tennessee, twenty nine to thirty four for four hundred and six yards and four touchdowns against LSU, and then sort a of defense came back. that looks a lot like Florida's. Yeah, and then came back to earth, twenty one to thirty for two hundred and one yards. So, you know that that LSU game is really skewing his stats out of out of whack. Um, you know, but I don't know what to say now because I really expected the Florida defense to come out and excel against Texas A and M, just because I didn't. You know, Kellen Mond has basically been Kellen Mond for the last three years, and that's been a good but not great quarterback. Florida made him look like a Heisman Trophy candidate, mm-hmm. and then he comes back out the next week and looks like Kellen Mond again. And so, you know, if if, if this is what Bazelak looks like against LSU, is that what he's going to look like against Florida? I just don't know. I, they're going to have to find a way to generate consistent pressure because I don't think they have the ability to hold up on the back end. And so I don't know how they're going to do that. The, the, the problem with A&M, you know, I thought in the first half they were kind of playing, a, they were playing a lot of zone and, and, but then you go back and you actually watch the tape. There were a lot of blitzes and they just didn't get home and didn't get anywhere close to home. Now, some of the blitzes came from really weird places where the guy had to go for a really long time and it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to blitz from you know a safety who's basically playing a co- too deep coverage and then having. Yeah, I think Donovan Stein was. Bl- I think he was blitzing from Arizona in one of those. <laughs> in one of those plays. So you know, I mean, those are things. Those are schematic things, but those are also player placement things. You hope that over the two weeks they've been able to figure all that stuff out, right? Alignment should not be a problem after being bored to tears in meetings on Zoom for the last two weeks or whatever they've been doing. Alignment should be perfect, and I, and. I, Again, I, I think on the Florida fans are going to be forgiving of guys who make physical mistakes, which is or maybe I shouldn't say that, but that that's why Donovan Steiner plays, right? Because for the most part, he might make physical mistakes, but he's usually in the right spot. The problem that we've had this year is that there's been an awful lot of mental mistakes that have happened, and not necessarily one guy on one play. It's been like three guys on one play have made a mental mistake, haven't known where they were supposed to go. It sort of breeds mistrust where you know one guy doesn't know if the other guy's going to do his job, so he cheats a little bit, and all of a sudden he's out of position on the next throw. And and so I and, think and even before the snap, a lot of times will. <laughs> yeah. Well, so you know, look. I don't know what to expect, right? I have zero idea what to expect from this game. In fact, we were joking before we came on here. I, I was surprised there was a point spread because I, I don't know. I don't know how <laughs> Vegas knows how to place this game. And I mean, now the other thing is effort, right? I mean, if Florida comes out and plays full effort, they should beat Missouri just because they're better players. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, from a pedigree yeah. standpoint, from an experience standpoint, from the way these guys performed last year standpoint, Florida has better players. And so if the effort is there and they're in the right alignment, Florida should win this game, should win it pretty handily. But again, you know, you just don't know what the mental state of the team is. And quite honestly, you don't know who all's going to be out there. So it's kind of hard to predict. Anything else on defense, guys, before we move to the other side of the ball? Well, the one the one thing I would say um, is that I you know I do think if Kyrie Campbell plays it, you know, because everybody's got their silver bullet, right? Like even if you look in the comments box, you got I've seen uh, Hopper, I've seen Wingo, like I've seen all these names, and it's like none of these young guys are really a silver bullet for what's ailing this defense. You know, maybe they'll make a play or two. I, guy like Mohamed Diabate, right, I think is is a guy that played pretty well when there weren't many bright spots in the last couple games. Um, but, like, you know, those young guys aren't going to make a huge difference. What Kyrie Campbell, with his experience and, and ability to get leverage on the inside of the defensive line, uh, is a guy that can make a significant difference. So I do think that, even just from a confidence standpoint, knowing he's there, uh, it, it, it'll free things up for the coaching staff, too. Uh, so, so that could be good, and you know, obviously, we're all watching out for it. 
Good, Malik. And in that thought, and I'll let you wrap up defense here. And with that thought, hopefully give some confidence to some other players too because they're playing in their more natural spots that they want to be in, that Kyrie Campbell's in the middle. All right, well, good. Zach Carter, you can play more defensive end. That's where you've played better all season. That's where you'll That's where you'll be now. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Brenton Cox, you're better up. You're better standing up, coming off the edge. Now you'll get to do more of that just because – look, I'm not, I'm not going to sit here and give – all-American accolades to Kyrie Campbell or all-SEC accolades. But what he does do is open up that defense for everybody else to play in their more natural positions. Well, and it's also just having another starter-level player who's a veteran, which we know that Grantham trusts his veterans. He wants to, to play his veterans, and that's why Steiner is out there, you know, snap after snap, even after certain mistakes here and there. And the kind of good news, bad news is that because they were so bad against A&M, because they were so bad defensively so far, the expectations are can't be any lower. So anything you do that's positive, I think that fans are going to be ready to respond. And also going back and you know switching over to offense, like you said, the offense seems to be so elite that if you just give them the ball here and there, a few stops, a few slowdowns, that offense is going to be able to do something with it that in years past, you know, back in the, you know, Muschamp McElwain years that they had no chance of. But now if you just give them the ball on a eight play drive or hold them to a field goal, all of a sudden the touchdowns can start racking up and you can have some positive outcomes. Long are the days where, when Florida got an interception, I was hoping the interception would be returned for a touchdown <laughs> because I knew the offense wasn't putting it in from a yard out. So. Amen. <laughs> it's like, why uh, are you going down? What are you? Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. So you know, we'll, we'll talk about the good here. I know we've kind of you know been on the defense, and hopefully we see some good things coming. But guys, we, we, we've seen this offense time and time again, and, and we've seen the good from that side of the ball. And I say a, a good sign from the offense that maybe they can keep it going is. To me, the start so far, the, the season, first game of the season, the offense comes out humming. And look, well, well now you've, you've at least played three games so far, and you have that game speed uh, feel compared to the first game of the season when you hadn't played since the end of last year. Uh, so it, it's only three weeks this time. Now, I'm not saying that guarantees that the offense comes out and scores on the very first possession versus Missouri, but you know, I, I'm not going to say it's a sign of rust or, or or immediately panic if they don't go out there and score on the on the first drive either. You know, Florida's not going to score a touchdown on the on the very first drive of of every game uh, this coming up season. But I do like what we've seen the very first drive, all three games that go down and, and score, and especially in that with all the off season distractions that you know teams had this past off season, going for you know ten months you know, nine and a half months or, or, or however long it was that before you got to play a game from the bowl game versus Virginia to come out versus Ole Miss and you go out there and put points on the board uh, for, for, from the get-go and you've done it in game two and get, and you did it again in, in game three, I really think you we look at this offense and just say, okay, you, know, it, it, you may not score that first drive, but I think from what we saw all season long, that you, I think the confidence, it may take a drive or two to get to knock the rust off and get back into game speed, but – I think we can feel pretty confident there, Will. Yeah, I mean, so there's two things here. We we know that Kyle Trask is really good at at coming in and playing off of long layoffs. He's certainly shown that over, <laughs> over his career. So you would expect – I mean, you know, last year he comes in against Kentucky completely cold, hasn't played in a while, and all of a sudden he's out there throwing darts. So so you got that. The other thing I think – little... I, I figured out the formula for the rest of the season. Sit Kyle, Tra- sit Kyle Trask in the third quarter. And then he'll come in the fourth quarter and, you know, throw some more touchdowns. <laughs> well, the other thing that I think is a little bit underrated is that Kyle Pitts looked a little bit nicked up in that game against A&M. And yeah. a couple of weeks off, all of a sudden, that guy who was just a world beater against Ole Miss and was really sort of taking it to everybody up until maybe about halfway through the second quarter against Texas A&M has had a couple of weeks to, to recover. And that That's may be true. something where you look at and say, hey, having that guy out there at 100% for Missouri and for Georgia is more important perhaps than ha- – I mean, because that Georgia game is really where it's at. If you can get past Missouri and sort of get past the uncertainty of COVID, um, having full-strength Kyle Pitts is what they're going to need to win that game. And, and he's had a couple of weeks to recover. So – you know, if, if I'm going to look on the bright side in terms of what makes the offense go is is Trask to Pitts, right? And so if Trask can pick up where he left off, which I think he has a pretty good track record of, and if Pitts is fully healthy, then I think the offense is going to go and we probably won't have to worry too much about it. Malik, Neil, I asked this question of you guys. I think every time I log on Twitter, I see a 
Jacob Copeland needs the ball or, or, or Naquan Wright needs the ball or Kadarius Tony needs the ball more. I mean, look, Florida's running 50 plays a game right now. So it, it's going to be a little difficult. Look, I, I want to see Jacob Copeland and Trevon Grimes and, 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 and other players get the ball as well. For, first of all, if that many players – and go back to the old Miss game. If that many – you go look at the stat line and how many players touch the ball, that's because Florida had 70, 80 plays a game. Mm-hmm. But, you know, we're not going to see – those, we're not going to see a lot of players rack up stats until we see. And you know, I hate to harp back on the defense, get the get the offense the ball more. And there's more the offense can do too. You know, Will and I discussed that a bit last week as well. But but I think you have to feel pretty good moving. Another thing that you can point to is Florida's deep, and and like I said, we don't know the players that are going to be out there Saturday. And all we heard from opposing fan bases and and, and the media covering Florida last year was. We don't know if they can replace all those receivers. Well, I mean, they've done a pretty good job of it through the first three games. Mm-hmm. Right. And and I feel like, you know, the offense, you've seen like even the running backs, there was uncertainty because you had Malik Davis, who's, you know, uh, despite my namesake, he's had the injury problems and didn't have the quite same pop as he had earlier on. And you've seen him progress, seen Naquan Wright progress. The offensive line has shown some improvement. So there's that real excitement there. So if they can just get a few more plays on offense, you expect them to be able to to really produce. So it's, it's a very, like I said, it's a very exciting time to see this offense have those opportunities. Um there's a lot of pressure on them because the defense has been struggling where they need to score each time and also somehow take time off the clock while they do it. So because the defense is probably tired out and that's a lot of pressure where you're like, okay, if you have 50 plays and you score 45 points, somehow you haven't done enough. That's a, that's a tough road to hoe. Yeah. That running backs coach does a pretty good job of developing kids. <laughs> this is why I'm on the show, guys. World's award winner. Huh? <laughs> I'm like, I don't know what else he does, but he does a great job of of developing guys. Look, uh, you know, this offense. If you like parachuted in from uh, the the 2015 2014 FSU game, right? And every game. Yeah, you parachuted in from the 2014 FSU game. Went to Dave's point. You were you were mad that somebody didn't that Brian Poole cut the wrong way on an interception, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, you would think we're in the upside down right yes. now, um, you know. And it's it is it's Kyle to Kyle that makes it go. And and when you only get fifty something snaps, you better be Kyle to Kyleing a lot. Uh, so I don't really have too many you know hardwired critiques of of anything they're doing offensively. They have to get more stops. I mean, South Carolina and and uh, Missouri, South Carolina, Texas a and showed you the the blueprint is don't give them the ball, right? <laughs> so yeah, that's what Missouri is going to try to do. They just held the ball for 43 minutes against Kentucky. I mean, they're going to come out and try to convert a bunch of third downs and keep Florida from getting the football. And every time they do that, you limit Florida's possessions. You know, the margin for error decreases. As good as Florida has been, it's hard when your margin for error is very, very small. Yeah. Is is there a worry, guys, that um, this layoff hurts the offense? I'm not worried about it that much uh, for some of the reasons that, that Will pointed out. And also, it, tell you what, the one thing that worries me a little bit is we kind of thought maybe defenses would be ahead of offenses from an execution standpoint. And just like I was really wrong about Florida having trouble replacing those brilliant senior wide receivers – I was really wrong with that take. Like offenses have been ahead of defenses. And I think a big reason for that, uh, I was talking to a member of the coaching staff this week for a piece. And he said, man, in the spring is when we iron out so many fundamentals defensively. Uh, and we just didn't get any of that time. We didn't get any of those tackling reps, uh, that, that type of physicality. And he said, you know, Nick Savage is as good as anybody at trying to replicate that. But it was just such a serious set of demands in COVID. So the thing that worries me a little bit is we come back after this layoff and like Missouri just played their best game. Also, although they played their worst offense, <laughs> but um, you know, our defense is starting to catch up and had they used the two weeks where the football program at Florida has been shut down and they're kind of closing the gap on offenses. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it also d- depends on who was out and who is out 
for the offense. I mean, if there's a key offensive lineman or two, because right now the, the Gators seem to have five guys they trust. If Ethan White's back, that's probably six. So if one of the offensive linemen is out or slowed or the timing's a little off, you know, uh, the offense seems like something where you really need a lot of well-oiled parts to hum as well as they need to and how, as well as they have been. So, you know, I, it only takes a little bit of a, a, a tick off for them not to be running at, at full automation. And with this defense, does that, you know, does that matter? The clearest path to success for this team is to win shootouts um, because, you know, to have the LSU model where your defense does enough and has some opportunistic plays here and there and your offense just, you know, kills the rest. And that's the path to possibly getting to the SEC title game, getting the playoffs. Obviously, you don't want to get ahead of yourselves, but that's the way you expect them to be able to do that. Not suddenly the defense becoming, you know, uh, like the great Muschamp teams or the, the great Stoops teams. It, that doesn't seem like likely to happen, you know. Yeah, well, probably more, for me, this game against Missouri, probably more so for me, this game is probably more important than 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 the rest that we've seen so far, getting off to a fast start, just because of everything that's happened the, the last couple of weeks. You don't want – after what this team's been through the last couple of weeks, maybe I'm making too much of it, but maybe y'all, I don't think you won't doubt at any point in this game, especially early on creeping in because it could just be, uh, you know, they, that, at that point they could start feeling sorry for themselves because of what they went through the last couple of weeks. And I don't, I don't think you want to see that. Uh, so I, I think it's pretty important for this offense to, to keep the fast start going, no matter what's happening on defense till maybe at, at some point they just find their legs uh, in, in this game. But I, I think it's pretty imperative for this offense to, to continue their fast starts, to keep the confidence of Confidence level of at least half the <laughs> half the team up, uh, so, so they can go out there like Malik's point to, to keep uh, to keep on winning shootouts. Yeah, I mean that's an interesting point. I, I think one of the things that's interesting is if you look back in 2018, coming off the Georgia loss and the Missouri loss, you would have said the same thing going in against South Carolina, and they fell way yeah. behind in that game. And Good then, point. Good point. And then Felipe Franks was able to lead them back, and it was sort of a galvanizing a galvanizing right. moment for the team to then come and rip off a bunch of ends towards the end of the season. So. I, I think, you know, a win obviously is important, but I think if they win 24 to 23, it's a win and you're heading into the Georgia game. Obviously, the fan base will look at that and say, oh, but at the same time, you know, an SEC wins an SEC win. We didn't get so, one last time we were out there. So just and right win. now, after the last couple of weeks, I'll be completely happy with a 24, 23 win. All right. <laughs> you, you will be. But have you been looking at the comments tonight, Dave? Uh, there are other yeah. people who won't be. I know. <laughs> Uh, I can uh, I can look at the situation right now, and, and the last three weeks have just it, it's been bad. It's been bad with what they had to deal with. Yeah, yeah, and 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 then my biggest concern on the offense is who's available because as much as as much as you sort of joke, Neil, about the senior wide receivers, the reality is if there was an injury or two last year, that wide receiving group could could sustain it. And, you know, the offense has been much more reliant on Kyle Pitts and Kadarius Tony this year yeah. than they ever were on any of the wide receivers last year. Now, that's a great thing because Tony and, and Pitts are great, but it's a bad thing if one of those guys is missing. And so yep. um, that would be my worry is just there's not the depth, at least on the offensive side, to really sort of push through if one of those guys happens to be missing. That's a great point. It, the, the offense is uh... – I go back to this success rate stat, and they're second in the country. The only the only offense that's more successful right now is Alabama, um, and you do wonder. I mean, Alabama just lost a big piece in Jalen Waddle. They have, uh, you know, we joke about insert player here, but and it won't be easy to replace Waddle, of course. But they have the depth to withstand that kind of devastating blow. I don't know if this Florida team does. I mean, we've seen flashes of what uh, Xavier Henderson can do, but. But beyond Trayvon Grimes, because because I've always kind of been a tap the brakes on Copeland guy. So, you know, beyond Grimes, I'm not sure who the who the weapon is beyond that. And, and that's a great point, Will. Well, we all know, um, according to some out there, one one conversation we had last week, it, it, it may not matter because Kyle Trask is not an elite SEC quarterback anyway. No, he's not. <laughs> <laughs> Now you're ruining the premise for my next article, Dave. Uh-oh. <laughs> Where are you going with that, Will? Well, I mean, so there are things that Trask – I kind of sort of get where the PFF guy's coming from. Just from the standpoint of he's not making a ton of NFL throws out there, at least not yet, because he's got guys who are running free. 
Now he's got guys who are running free because of the design and the play design and the players that he's got on that on the offensive side of the ball, but he has to deliver it. And so you know it, it doesn't. Pr- your point is not proven to me when he delivers a ball to a wide open back across the across the middle and the guy runs for thirty yards. Well, that was his job on the play, and and that's the thing is that Trask does his job. And he's gotten better from last year to from last year to this year, and that's all you can really ask. So whether whether he's necessarily fitting the ball into tight windows, I mean, remember PFF is the same is the same uh, organization that ranked Jamie Newman really really high up, and one of the reasons <laughs> they did that is because he was really good at fitting the ball into tight spaces. Well, that's important at the NFL level, but in the college level, you almost always have some guy running free on any play. Finding him is the challenge, and when you get a quarterback who could find the guy who's running free, then your offense goes all over the place. Now, in COVID, there have been a few more guys running free than maybe there were last year or the year before, but Trask <laughs> is finding him. The guy's wide open, and you hit him. I mean, I don't know what else you want him to do, I guess, is my, is my sort of point. Like, if the guy's wide open and he throws and hits him, that's a demerit. That's an interesting take. <laughs> well, and, and he's also wide open because of some of the pre-snap reads that Trask has made, right. identifying the defense, setting a guy in motion, seeing where the tells are, and getting that. He, he's sometimes got a guy open even before the play starts. And then you, you add on, he's climbing the pocket, he's getting out of pressure and delivering the ball on, on the money on the move sometimes now. that that Like Will said, that's advanced things that he wasn't doing last year. And I think there's opportunity for him to get even better if maybe he got 10 15 20 more snaps per game where you didn't feel like your bottom was on fire because you have to score this play or your defense is going to give up some points what say you Neil? i mean i've written about it um you know i've kind of been been a champion for for trask i guess i i just think that you know, it's a great – what Malik says is, is spot on, I think. A lot of the pre-snap stuff he does um, is is outstanding. He he reads defenses. He makes third or fourth progression throws, mm-hmm. um, you know, and, and he's shown on a couple different throws that that even if it's not consistently making the tight, the tight spot NFL-type throws that Will references, because I agree with Will, we haven't seen enough of those yet. But we've seen some of them certainly catching a defender with their back turned and trusting Kyle Pitts to go up and get in the ball and putting in a spot where he can get it uh, in the Ole Miss game um, on the touchdown over the middle. We saw it on a throw to, to Trent Whitmore, uh, I think, in the South Carolina game. Um, the, throw to, the throw to Grimes in the Ole Miss game, too. Yeah, the throw, the throw to Grimes in the Ole Miss game. The, the, back, shorter, the back shoulder throw to, to Tony in the Texas A&M game uh, is certainly an NFL throw, and that came under pressure as well. So I think you know, it's it's the way he handles pressure, his movement in the pocket, and all the stuff he does pre-snap. Those are things that make for elite college quarterbacks. And and so, you know, I, I I'm not really buying too much into the narrative that that he he can't get it done. Uh, you know, and we'll we'll find out in the next couple of weeks. You know, like look, if this defense gives him a chance, Florida has a chance to win every game they play. And if you have a chance to win every game they play, there's a decent argument that your quarterback's okay. Yeah, I think in the, in the, in the couple of weeks, guys, what we all want to see is that you know the comparison we saw Alabama and Georgia play, and then everybody's like, okay, well, you know, Florida's Florida's offense is on Alabama's level, and you know, that's what the the, the the fan base is screaming. Well, we we get a chance to see that. <laughs> we actually get a chance to see that play out in, in a couple mm-hmm. of weeks, and all the guessing game can go away uh, there. And like Alabama's probably built, you know, one to 11, a, a bit deeper than Florida, especially along the offensive line. But, you know, if, if, if Dan Mullen is on and the play calling's on, then, you know, Kyle Trask is going to have every opportunity to go out there and prove uh, that uh, he, he can make those throws against the elite competition. Yeah, man, just need the right wristbands. <laughs> <laughs> Thank Zing. you. I can't be the only one dropping zingers tonight. Zing. <laughs> hey, there's no bye week this time, so we don't have a, we don't have we don't have time to mess that up. <laughs> uh, somebody in the comments said, uh, "Yeah, I saw Kyle miss Naquan right wide open and check down to Pitts for a first down instead." And, you know, that's what I'm saying. That running backs coach, man. That running backs coach, <laughs> he knows how to get them open. He knows how to get them running hard. <laughs> So what, what do you guys think about um, Trash's pro potential? Because to me, he's, he's a guy that you would want to have 
at least bring into camp and see how I might develop and all. I'm not saying he should be like a high pick and all, but with his size and how he's progressed so quickly, I think you would want to give him a shot and see what would happen. Yeah, I mean, you are seeing mocks out there right now. First, you know, mid to late first round, second round, uh, you know, picks for 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 Trask, and I think you know his smarts, and yeah, you know, I, I do wonder how how scouts will grade not playing for so long, and then. Mm-hmm. But my thing is, you know, he's going to have almost two full years under, under his belt. And we've seen Oklahoma quarterbacks and in, in that system only have one year of great, great film and great tape or, and, and go and go based off of that or, or two years kind of like Trask and shoot up boards as well. So I think, you know, Mullen's history with, with, with Dak and having some NFL success there and showing completely different style of offense and then showing that, you know, this guy, I, I was able to, to make it work with this guy. And I, I changed my system for this guy. This guy can right. – I'm asking him to do these type of things. And, I mean, this, this is what has to win me games. So, I, I think being able to to already prove that he's a good teammate because of the, the story that he's he's went through the last couple oh, yeah. of years. And NFL teams are going to eat that up as, as far as they know they have, they have a guy that they can rely on who's going to be there in mm-hmm. practice, in, in games, and, and and be on the sideline or be be there not not get in trouble and, and be the – the, the type of person first and foremost that they want him to be. But yeah, I mean, uh, honestly, just speaking of play, I, I think there's enough out there to, to, to give him a shot. And I, I don't know if he'll be some, some great NFL quarterback, but I do think he, he is, he is a camp arm that could really impress some guys. I think we're going to know a lot more after Georgia. Yeah. I think last year against Georgia, they forced him into some things he didn't necessarily want to be in. And he wasn't really able to take advantage of the things that Georgia was giving him. Now, obviously, the windows are tight against Georgia, but that's kind of what you have to prove at the next level is that you can deal with that. Now, one thing I think we've seen this year is more zip on the ball. He clearly has changed his mechanics a little bit and is throwing the ball a little bit harder. The other thing that you see is a little bit more pocket, actually significantly more pocket presence where he's feeling the pressure, moving around the pocket, manipulating the pocket to give himself enough time to make some throws. Um, um, you know, those are all things you got to do at the NFL level. So I think if he's able to carry that over through the Georgia game and put tape against an elite defense together where he's been able to be successful, then I think he jumps up into that, you know, maybe late first, early second round. Otherwise, he's he's probably drafted later in the later in the draft, and they're thinking that he's more like a backup. But again, because of the personality and the intangible aspect of that, and the fact that he's used to being a backup quarterback, I think that's something that's sort of a feather in his cap when it comes to being an NFL draft pick. Because you bring in a guy who's a fourth rounder who thinks he's a starter. And you don't necessarily know whether he's going to work hard when you put him in as a backup. You know Trask is going to work and prepare as though he's the starter if you bring him in and put him in as the backup. I think that's a big part of it when you're in the NFL, just making sure you've got a guy who's going to prepare like he could be the starter because he can be in one or two plays. And uh, and Trask has shown he's capable of doing that. Well, I know he's already made me look like an idiot because I said he, there's no way he'd play. So <laughs> <laughs> and here, and here he is, one of the SEC's best quarterbacks. <laughs> Only proven what all of our wives already know about us is, is pretty yeah, much what sports. That's, that's true. That's true. I thought Malik Zaire might do something. So, but, uh. <laughs> well, Will and I were never on that one. <laughs> I mean, the name alone, you know, it's, it's, it's the, king, the kingly name. It's very royal. I, missed, I, I did miss that. I did miss that. <laughs> Left-handed you, as well. I mean, come it, on. It, here's just, the thing: it wasn't. It wasn't even him. It was like I have no trust in Jim McElwain oh. and Doug Nussmeyer to, to get yeah. the best out of Malik Zaire. Uh, so. Nussmeyer with an athletic quarterback. Dear Lord. Didn't wow. didn't we didn't we have like Josh Grady one year under the, in the Must Champ years? That should have been that should have been your yeah. your guy there, Malik. Well, we, we we keep losing Malik's. We lost Malik Langham. I mean, oh, <laughs> it's, yeah. it's been tough, man. <laughs> I'm glad we we have a Malik doing well now. If, although the fumble last week was a oh yep. A tough look, you know, but, uh, you know, I try to stand for the Malik's out there. So, yeah, Greg, Greg doesn't coach him to fumble. <laughs> <laughs> Neil, with the, with the Knox praise all throughout the episode here. Uh, all right, guys, uh, Neil, what you got work uh, coming up for Saturday down south? So I got my, uh, my usual weekly game week, three matches, three matchups that will define the game, uh, coming up tomorrow. Uh, Saturday down south. I got my fresh batch of SEC player power rankings. She's always, I'm having a lot of fun with that. I, I don't know what to do with Jalen Waddle now that he's out for the season. Like I feel like I should rank him number one and just, <laughs> just keep the- <laughs> let let him have a week as like the SEC's best player. Like kind oh, of a man. you know, but it really stinks. Uh, it, it was very pro throw s too. It was terrible. Like, yeah. Um. 
yeah. So anyway, that those two pieces are are coming up, and then uh, you know, I don't know if like everybody's on the media calls just thinking of the same things, but um, yeah, I'm doing <laughs> I'm doing a fun one with uh, Kyle Trask and records, uh, you know, because it's very interesting. Like with ten SEC games, like there's a lot of limitation to to the types of records he could break, and yet he's still on track to like chase some of the Florida passing records. Uh, for a single season, certainly all the conference records are very much in jeopardy as he got the two extra games. <laughs> so uh, just a fun look at that as we head into to Saturday. Awesome, awesome. Will, what you got coming up? Read reaction. Yeah, so I already said said something a little bit about the uh, piece I'm going to have in Trask coming up. It's kind of hard to predict what's going on, so uh, I'll, yeah. I'll put a prediction in, but I don't know that I'm necessarily going to do a whole lot of breakdown on Missouri because um, I think a lot of it has to do with the attitude of Florida. So take a look at Trask and some of the areas where he's improved since last year. And then and then my colleague Nick Newton, he has something coming out tomorrow on uh, sort of a surprise wrinkle in the national championship race and and how that may impact Florida a little bit. So uh, everybody should go check that out. Nick's, Nick's a good rider. He's been putting stuff up there at the site, and uh, I'm excited to see what he's got on this one awesome awesome and uh malik you got to keep the, the dm and twitter to, <laughs> together man. <laughs> Definitely, man i i really appreciate you know the opportunity to talk with you guys and stuff you guys all have great perspective you guys all love football and you ever do a great job of relaying that to the people who listen to you so that's not everybody does that not everybody has that love of the game not everyone has perspective and not everyone can connect with the listeners the way you guys do so it's a real blessing Thanks, man. I'm glad you could hop on here with us. Neil, Neil, quickly, quickly. Yeah. Florida basketball, what what to expect? Fantastic. There we go. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> if you don't know, guys, uh, Neil Blackman, uh, you know, host uh, uh, for uh, Florida Basketball Hour uh, as well. So if you need your basketball fix, you can uh, definitely get it there. Let everybody, let everybody know about that, Neil, right quick. Yeah, no, check out uh, Florida Basketball Hour. We're, we're rolling through the fall camp previews, talking about the big battle at the point guard position, which is uh, interesting. I know, you know, speaking of fan base getting what it wants and now going, okay, now what? <laughs> were we right? Uh, <laughs> Andrew Nimhart is off to Gonzaga, you know, because that's where all players that aren't good enough to play and <laughs> in the Power Six get to go. Um, so, uh, yeah, we'll see. We'll see who's who's starting point guard. Eric Fawcett, GatorCountry.com, joins me for that. Uh, be sure to check us out uh, on Twitter at Florida BB Hour and uh, anywhere you can you can stream your podcast. After you listen to Gators Breakdown, of course, you can, <laughs> you can play us. And I recommend one and a half speed based on my proclivity to have these long Barack Obama pauses when I talk. <laughs> but but it's fun. Or like even Donald Trump like sentence fragments. Like I don't differentiate through political ideology. I, I'm just bad at talking. So like fast forward. <laughs> Good stuff here. Neil and Eric do a great job there covering Florida basketball. Fantastic. So guys, fantastic. Yeah, everybody go check that out. So that'll do it for this episode of Gators Breakdown. I'm your host, David Waters. You can find me on Twitter at GatorDave underscore SEC. Guys and girls out there, thanks for listening to this episode of Gators Breakdown.